0: And today our guest is Chris Freeman and he is an experienced real estate investor with $38 million in assets under management. And his 20 years of real estate investment has focused exclusively on multifamily apartment buildings that can generate immediate cash flow. And he also has a background in high-tech sales and sales leadership. And through consistency over time, he's built up a great success in this space. And he's also inspired to create the high-tech freedom capital and also is helping his peers achieve their own personal success as well. So welcome to the show, Chris. How are you doing today?
1: Thanks, Eileen. I'm doing great. Really appreciate you having me on today.
0: So Chris, can you share with us a little bit more about your background, how you got started in real estate?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I've been in tech sales, sales leadership role for 26, I guess now we're pushing 27 years. 20 of those years, I've been pretty focused on kind of slowly investing in multifamily real estate and just buying smaller buildings, owning them, operating them. I didn't really consider myself an investor, more of an operator because you'd buy it. Hold it, stabilize it, and then maybe generate some cash flow over time, and you know, add some more dollars to the account. And then two years later, go do it again. How I got started was I was in tech sales before the dot com bubble, so kind of starting in ninety nine, two thousand. I was starting to have quite a bit of success. Moved out of my single family home, bought a duplex, lived in half of it. And I remember I felt like I was trading down at that point because. That point in my life where a lot of my friends were going on to that second home, the bigger home. They had their girlfriends, boyfriends, fiancés. And instead of me trading up, I felt like I was trading down into this duplex. And I was actually kind of embarrassed when all my friends were helping me move in. But I got over that after about the first 90 days when I started to see how my neighbor's rent was starting to pay my mortgage. Uh, Right about that same time, I had all of my investments outside of that duplex, was in the stock market, was mostly in one technology stock, which was a company I was working for. And in fact, in the 401k, they would actually give you better matching if you took it in company stock. So I was like, well, why would I not do that? That's more. But then it all cratered and went down to zero. And in parallel, my future partner, who happened to be eventually my father-in-law, he had been in the multifamily space for a long time at that point, and he owned apartment buildings outright in northwest Portland, which is kind of a hip area where all the restaurants are at. That market downturn had happened. I was watching him continue to make a great multi six-figure income while some of his friends that had done pretty well were all starting to back off of their travel they're all in fixed incomes and just having to slow down because of that. And it was really at that point, the combination of losing it and watching him really not be impacted. That was when I decided, right, you know, I'm going to, besides my 401k, I'm going to put all my efforts into multifamily real estate. And so we just continued to buy, hold, never took any cash flow out of it, just left it in the account and just continued to do that over about 15 years until we started to finally take our first draw. That's when we started to kind of really reap some benefits from the cash flow.
0: You know, it's interesting when you mentioned about living in the duplex and doing some house hacking and renting out the other side. And so while your friends were also buying the single family homes, moving into these bigger houses, sometimes you kind of take a step back a little bit to kind of build up our nest egg, build up our ammunition so that like, as we move forward, we can just take two more steps forward by just taking a little bit back and then being able to run much faster later on down the future. And so everybody gets to things in a different way. And so it's interesting when you mention that because it's like, it's all in perspective, right? It's like success to one person is different success to another person, what it looks like.
1: So true. For me, it was, I'll drive a 10-year-old car, I'll go live in the duplex and go buy an apartment building. And it does take a little bit of a longer-term view versus the short-term gain. And some people have it, some people need to learn it. But I mean, that's always paid off for me kind of in everything I do.
0: When you were looking into multifamily, you started to getting to and investing in it more and more over the last 15 to 20 years. During this entire time, you're still working your full-time W-2 job. um, Is that correct? Correct. And so then how did you throughout this entire time, you know, because you're also operating it and you're managing it on a day-to-day basis too. How do you balance all of that to be able to make sure that both sides are full-time job takes quite a bit of time. And then also real estate takes some time as well. There's, there's only so many hours in a day. And so for you, how have you been able to balance it to make everything kind of work for you and to fit your lifestyle?
1: Yeah. Over time it did get harder as things started to scale. But for me, the priority over really the first 20 years was I had to make my W-2 my priority. They're paying me and it's just the right thing to do if they're giving you a paycheck. So for me, it was a priority to to deliver on my W-2, show up, over-deliver, over-achieve. And as you do that, you start to build up some credibility and that credibility then also creates some flexibility Because, you know, people know what you're capable of. They know what you're about. So that was kind of the foundation of how I think about it. On the real estate front, if you're doing it just by yourself, it gets really hard. You're going to have to start outsourcing pieces or parts to different people. I was very fortunate that the partner that I did align with, we had a great division of labor. There was things he liked to do that I just didn't like to do or didn't have time and vice versa. So for example, he loved to do the maintenance, loved to go to Home Depot, love to look at the latest flooring, kind of figure out what the standard template would be for any unit turn. And I was happy to let him do that. He did not want to talk to tenants. He didn't really like to engage with the tenants or the people at all. So I handled all the leasing, all of the business side of things, the loans, the refinance. um, And he handled all the maintenance and managed, uh, we had a part-time maintenance person that did work for us. And that worked out really well. Eventually he was a little bit older than I was. So eventually he started to age out Our maintenance person retired. We got up to about 110 doors. And at that point, it was too much. And something has to give. And for me, what was starting to give was the property management side of it. Not as responsive to the tenants, uh, not as responsive to the maintenance maybe as I'd want to be. In some cases, we would get things done, but the record keeping wasn't as great as we would want it to be. And it's easier when you don't have to report to any other investors. That's fine. As long as you're taking care of the tenants, fixing their maintenance problems, they're happy. What I realized though was, man, I cannot pull my head above the clouds to actually look at the business and make it better. Cause we're so busy in the business, just trying to operate it. So we agreed to put everything under uh, professional property management. And that took a while. Uh, you did that over a period of a couple of years, but once that was done, it was so amazing because number one, I realized I am not a very good property manager. <laughs> part of it was my partner, he came from a different era. So to spend a penny was just be painful to him. And what I realized is, wow, this property manager, if they're doing their job, they're making us money because they're accelerating rents, they're getting better tenants, they're taking advantage of consolidated purchasing. And it freed up so much more time for me to look at how can I automate things? How can I improve the quality of the business? And how can we now step back and continue our investment strategy? Because I'm not so sucked into the The business of the real estate. The last comment I'll make about the W-2, I get really concerned. Yeah, there's been so much talk about how great real estate is and how you can go make wealth within real estate. And it's true. But I'm an example of, look, what we did over 20 years, that's a long time. That didn't happen overnight. That was just doing incremental work every day, every week, every month, and so on. And I get really concerned when I hear people that want to leave their W-2 and jump into real estate. And what I worry about is, are they wanting to jump into it because they're trying to escape something or they really want to go grow something. You know, if they think that jumping into real estate is going to be a faster, easier way to build wealth than performing in their job, I just worry that sometimes people are going into it with the wrong mindset. If you think about it, if you're running from something into something new, you know, whether it's a work, a job, a marriage, friendship, or, or whatever, when does that ever work out? Right. You're just starting off with the wrong mindset. I think you have to go get find a little bit of success where you're at first, build up that confidence, build up that knowledge, build up those habits, then go pursue it if that's really your dream.
0: When you were managing the properties yourself and then decided to bring on a property manager to come help and to take over those properties for you, what are some of the things that you saw or that you learned from? Um, self-managing versus actually hiring and enlisting the help of a property management management company. Um, And so maybe some of the mistakes that you had made along the way as you were doing it yourself.
1: We're both here on the West coast. And so it's a much more tenant friendly market. And so in that scenario, it's record keeping is incredibly important. I mean, down to every email, every communication, if a tenant requested maintenance, how did you log it? How did you record it? How did you follow up on it? What went in? And that stuff is hard to do. You know, we were using a professional software portal, but it just takes a lot of uh, a lot of process. And if you know, if you have built up those processes and you have maybe one or two people working for you, you can go do it. But sometimes, you know, those processes oftentimes are the first thing to fall on the floor when you get busy. And just as an example, we did have one tenant sue us because we had a plumbing problem, fixed it, happened again. And it happened to be in a ceiling, had a hard time getting labor to go seal up the ceiling. Then he had some other problems somewhere else. It was just a bad run of different plumbing problems that happened to be impacting his unit. He got frustrated. He filed a lawsuit against us in Portland. And I don't know, he wanted like hundred thousand dollars or something crazy. There's an attorney here locally that focuses on tenant suits against landlords. And he kind of knows that sweet spot that insurance companies will pay. And it was a real eye-opener what I had to go through and try to reproduce all of the documentation, all of the work orders, all of the things around that unit. We found it all, but it was a ton of work. And a good property manager, you know, they hit a button, they open up a file and they have it all.
0: Would you mind if I asked what was the outcome of that?
1: Well, it's Portland, you settle. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, it might have been like $34,000 or something like that and he agreed to move out.
0: So then during that entire time you were self-managing and then it took quite some time to like kind of get all your books in order. And were you using some type of software to manage it yourself or was everything kind of like an Excel and just in files?
1: Yeah, it's a product called Buildium. It's a SaaS based property management software tool. Great tool, but you know, you still have to set some things up within it to make it all work.
0: And those first properties that you had, those were all just between you and your partners and you didn't bring on investors prior to that right. up until this point in time.
1: Yeah, they're all eight, uh, 15, 20-unit buildings.
0: We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And was that purchased primarily through like your W-2 incomes and what you've been able to save up and other investments that you had to be built up to be able to purchase those? Because there's quite a number of doors to be able to do it on your own, right?
1: Yeah, no, it's actually a really good question. So it's amazing what you can do over a long period of time. So I started off with a duplex and then just from savings, we bought, we found a great deal, bought a fourplex. And then at some point we found this 15 unit building in the newspaper uh, for sale by owner, and sold the duplex and did a ten thirty one exchange into the fifteen unit, and so it was a great mm-hmm. purchase price, less than fifty k a door, in uh, a great location. I was able to use all my funds from the duplex for my portion of it. We bought it fifty fifty, and that one property generated a tremendous amount of cash flow that then continued to fill up the account. We basically buy a property, stabilize it, work on it for two years, leave all the cash flow in the account. And then at some point, right, we also had some savings. So throw a little bit more in the account and then go buy another one. I just kept doing that.
0: It's so incredible because in the short term and we looking at it, it's like incredible, like over a hundred doors underneath the belt, right? And it's all owned just outright. But it's over like 15, 20 years that you've been able to build out over this. And it's just the compounding of it and the power of what you're able to do as you're investing it into bigger things and moving it from one property to another property and taking those proceeds and rinsing and repeating essentially. And you've been able to do all this on your own.
1: Yeah. You know, and a couple other things that that was important with that is, you know, we kept costs low, very focused on the cost structure reasonable rent growth, always stayed a little bit under market. But then we also had long-term debt on all the property or longer-term debt, I should say. And in a couple of scenarios, we had bought off-market private note, went in and refinanced with that seller on a couple of the notes over the years to get the rate reduced because you know we were at one rate and the rates had dropped tremendously. We can pay it off or we can renegotiate. And he was nice enough to renegotiate because he didn't want to be paid off. So that lowered our cost basis on those, or lowered our uh, expenses on those, which improved the cash flow.
0: So after you enlist, now you have a property manager helping you with those units. What did you guys do afterwards in terms of investing?
1: Yeah, so it was a great opportunity. It took a couple of years to move into property management, and then my focus was really to start diversifying outside of the Oregon market, just because you know there's better markets. Um, this is a harder market to operate in. In looking at markets outside of the state, it just made sense to look at larger properties with economies of scale where you could have staff on site, maintenance people, on-site managers, that type of thing. And then in parallel, as you start to get into those larger properties, you need to bring on additional partners. So I really put a lot of time into one, what markets do I want to be in? Two, who do I want to work with? You know, Who do I see myself partnering with that I can complement what they're trying to do and vice versa?
0: How are you finding these people that you're starting to vet with and trying to figure out whether or not you want to work with them?
1: So, I was in a couple of different programs, going to conferences, listening to a lot of podcasts. And so, I listened to one podcast, and if I'd hear an operator on there, boom, I'd send him a note on LinkedIn, I'd say, Great job on the podcast, and just start connecting up with people and you know, going to conferences and meeting a bunch of people. I did struggle a little bit because I was, at one point, I was talking to so many people, and you know, I didn't really feel like I was connecting. Or maybe it wasn't adding any value and so at some point i decided that i was going to focus maybe just on two or three people where i thought maybe they were a good fit maybe they had some specific challenges that i could help with and i put more of my energy into those two or three people trying to look for specific things that i could bring to them and just as an example um, You know, I had one guy where I would call him and just let him know, hey, you know, just been working on my capital raising. Um, And that's what I started to focus on was the capital raising side. You know, I had another person interested in doing 50K for the next deal that I have or another 100K. I just drop him a text or a note or something. I would sometimes set up a call with them just to see how things were going. And I would ask him, say, hey, you know, you mind if I take one of your deals as an example of a deal that we're looking at so I can give my investor base a sense of, you know, a specific market, a specific deal, something they can sink their teeth into essentially. And so he'd give me that information and just, you know, stand really active. Now, what was interesting was at one point, I felt like, you know what, it's not working because he hasn't brought me into a deal and brought me in as a co-GP or or anything. And on a day, I was about ready to give up and say, all right, I need to go take a different approach or go focus on somebody else. And on that same day, he called me and said, hey, Chris, you want to join the team? Which is interesting how things work out that way. But I will say though, that was like step one Step two is once I was part of a team as a co-GP, that was in my mind, and you know, I talked about over-delivering and setting good experience. You know, that first partnership that you can be part of, it is so important to find ways to over-deliver, exceed expectations and deliver value. And so I spent a lot of my time just thinking about ways to do that because everybody on the team could be a potential partner down the road.
0: How did you maneuver that? And how did you find out what like your superpower was and where you fit within the puzzle piece to be able to add that value?
1: I'm a sales professional. So I knew that I was comfortable with creating material, creating content, raising capital. Examples of things that I did bring was I helped create some email templates. They weren't asking for it, but I helped create some email templates. I helped create a... Uh, a video, you know, just walking people. I did it for my own investors, but I shared it with the broader team on, Hey, this is how you register on the portal. This is how you walk through the subscription agreement, A through Z, and then shared that with the team. I also know that personally, I'm a person of action. And so if there's something that needed to be done, I would just sort of jump in and say, Hey, I can help. And I would run and maybe it's not perfect, but I would just go get something done. So Another good example is that we were working on the investor summary and just struggling with something as simple as, you know, we were working on that map. It shows where the Starbucks is at and everything on the map, or they were having some formatting issues. And I said, well, hey, send it over to me. I'll work on it. Had something done in an hour, sent it back. And it was small, but it wasn't like I was sitting back waiting. I was jumping in, looking for areas just to insert myself to help.
0: Yeah, and that's how we really build up the relationship and start to figure out because as we're having these conversations and we're just trying to figure out like where where do I fit in all of this like what can I do and so you're just finding these little pieces and you're just listening and keeping your ears open for opportunities right. to add value to places and that was definitely a place where I could add value to it.
1: Eileen, I think that's such a great point. It's not you can't predict where you're going to be needed. You have to just listen and you have to be looking for those opportunities, hear what people are saying, and then adjust and react.
0: Once you got onto the GP, you've closed a deal with these partnerships. How did that open the doors to other things? And then how did it expand your horizons and the opportunities out there for you within real estate?
1: From that first deal, two of the the main people, we ended up doing we're getting ready to close on our fifth building here next week and so we're not a partnership by logo but we align together pretty well and so we've kp on two or three of the five and we have a monday morning call you know kind of talking about how can we build how can we grow what do we want to focus on and you know we each have a a different sort of area focus we all do everything if needed but you know, I've been focusing on the investor side and the marketing side. One person tends to focus more on the asset management and organizing those calls and taking care of the banking. And uh, the other person is pretty focused on the deal finding side. And really, the first part of the funnel as deals are coming in has a process that he's running those deals through to vet them, kind of do the initial analysis before he ever brings them to us. And so that's worked out well. And you know we'll see where it goes from here. But we're always adjusting and trying to get better.
0: And what are you most excited about in this upcoming future?
1: Oh boy. You know, it's not actually um, real estate specific. It's more, so I started a podcast launched in January. I'd been recording episodes the quarter before it's called high-tech freedom, but the podcast is for tech salespeople where I bring on other high-tech salespeople, entrepreneurs, thought leaders to talk about, you know, best practices insights, lessons learned, really just to pass on information to you know, the broader people in my career. And there's not really a few sales podcasts out there, but I feel like it's pretty focused and pretty unique. I've been having a great time doing it. And what's so fascinating about it is every one of them, just like what you're doing here, Eileen, is every time you do one of these, you learn something. Yep. And I love taking what I learned from some other incredible salesperson, and I'll take it right back to my W-2 that same day. Or I've got a team call. I'm presenting an idea. Hey, it's not an original thought for me, but I have no problem taking action on great ideas. So it's really been kind of energizing for me to go through that process.
0: What was the podcast called again?
1: High Tech Freedom.
0: High Tech Freedom. It's really connecting with people and just learning from them. And it's so interesting to hear how everybody thinks about things a little bit differently and different knowledges and different experiences they all had, even though you're all in the same industry, right? But everybody has a different experience. Everybody has a different way of doing things. And so it's a fantastic way to share ideas and share knowledge.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's... uh, I've been in sales leadership now for a while And one thing I've learned is you can't tell people to go do it your way. Everybody has their own way of doing things. People visualize things in different ways. And what's interesting is when you do bring all these different perspectives onto a podcast, somebody's going to find somebody that talks about something that connects with them. And they'll grab it and they'll grab that one idea. And if it can make their job better, help them sell more, provide better value to their customers, increase their commissions, I just think that's awesome.
0: And how has real estate investing impacted your life, Chris?
1: To me, it's always been about sort of a long-term journey. I've always had this vision that, this is before I know what I know now, that I wanted to get to 300 doors that were fully paid off. And if I had 300 doors that were fully paid off, that would generate all plenty of cash flow to do whatever the family wanted to do, give back to all kinds of charities and a nice way to live. Now I realize it doesn't have to necessarily be 300 doors paid off. It's that certain cash flow that I want to get to. And so I think there's multiple ways to do it. So real estate has just been a journey to get there in parallel of performing in my W-2 job. And if I can do both of those well, it actually sort of, I think, accelerates the process. And for me, long-term, it's really about setting myself up to be able to have that freedom to give back, My kids probably won't stay in Oregon. So if I want to go hunker down and work three months in some other city remotely because they live there or my grandkids live there, I have the freedom and the flexibility to do that. For me, it's just about the journey. I don't really have this end goal in mind, growing and getting better at what we do.
0: Yeah. As long as we're enjoying the journey along the way, it's not considered work anymore, right?
1: Right. There might be a few days in there.
0: (laughs) A couple of days here and there, but overall, we're enjoying what we're doing. That's right. So what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing?
1: I keep going back to action. I think you can analyze and you can think about it and you can worry about our markets going up, our markets going down, our rates going up, our rates going down. You have to take action. You have to go network. You have to go do your off-market campaign, whatever it is that you feel needs to happen in order for you to find a deal or get a partner. It doesn't have to be perfect, but I think the people that are most successful, take action, continue to refine each of those steps along the way and make great decisions, but don't let the process of making the decision slow them down or stop the process altogether.
0: No fantastic way of putting it. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. You're welcome. And so for our listeners out there also who are interested in finding more about you, what you're doing, check out your podcast. Where's the best place that they can go?
1: Yeah. So my website is hightechfreedom.com on LinkedIn. I've been on there for a long time. So it's just Chris Freeman and you'll see me there. And uh, those are probably the two best ways to connect up. The podcast is high tech freedom and you can find that on Spotify.
0: Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all that with us. I really appreciate your time.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Eileen.
0: And thank you for listening to our podcast today brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the Contact Us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.